This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Katherine Barner, and I'm serving as guest host today. I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Dave Anderson, president of Grace School of Theology. In this episode, we're talking about what it means to be human, how do we understand human life, and how it intersects with the spiritual realm. We'll talk about some things such as the image of God, souls, spirit, and how all these things relate to the, to the everlasting life that the Bible talks about. Dr. Anderson, you are certainly no stranger to the Saving Grace podcast, but welcome. It's great. It's an absolute treat for me to get to talk with you today. Well, the welcome is to you. Thank you for <laughs> stepping in here. Uh, so glad to have someone who's both a student of the school and also a lot of experience with uh, radio. Well, I, I appreciate it. I don't know about a lot, but I, I'm grateful to God for what he's done. So this, is, this should be a treat today. Well, as, as you know, of course, Dr. Anderson, you know, mankind has struggled throughout history to come to terms with what it really means to be human. And in, in modern history, we've started to develop more detailed theories about human behavior and brain science. But we, we want to know if the Bible has anything to teach us about the pursuit uh, of understanding how, how we really are and how we really came to be. So if we go back to Genesis, um, where we read the story of how God creates man, if we start there, do you think this particular text wants to teach us about what it means to be human and why we're here? Yeah, uh, that's what the theologian called the Imago Dei, just Mm -hmm. Latin for image of God. And many, many books have been written about that. Mm. Lots of debate on what that uh, exactly means. Uh, but my own take on it is that being created in the image of God uh, means we have our own unique mind, emotion, and will, the inner part of man that is able to interact with God. Mm. <clears throat> Where animals, uh, like uh, my dog, certainly mm-hmm. has a mind, mm-hmm. he has emotions, and he has a will. He can be stubborn when he wants to. <laughs> Mine too. But I've seen no evidence that he can interact with God mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a divine level. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be something unique to people. And see, I would include angels as people. Okay. They're not human beings, but they have mind, emotion, will that can interact with God. They can praise God. We mm-hmm. know of that going on several places in the Bible. Uh, they certainly have emotions, the joy that they sometimes express. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have choice because Lucifer chose to disobey God exactly. and uh, uh, persuaded, as it would appear, a third of the host of heaven mm-hmm. to go with him. So uh, all those are features of, of, of the Imago Dei. Okay. Uh, now notice I'm leaving out of there uh, physicality. Right. If I include angels... Uh, with the Imago Dei, uh, they don't have physical bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, I, an awful lot of people would disagree with me on angels being created in the image of God. Okay. They would say that's only um, uh, particular to human beings. And it's just, it's just a, uh, an area I don't know that any of us can definitively prove. Okay. But um, 
the image of God in man that seems to separate him from the animals and birds and fish and all that right. is what I've mentioned, but even angels have what I mentioned as, as well. Okay. So I would say um, the very first creation that God had were the angels. Mm-hmm. And it appears from Job 38 that the universe was created as a display of some of his attributes mm. that the angels might see that and okay. shout for joy, it says. Uh, for what God did. Uh, Then it was after the rebellion of Lucifer that God decided to make a human being, Hmm. a person a little bit lower than the angels. Than the angels, okay. Uh, It says there in Psalm 8 and picked up in Hebrews 2. Of course, the question is, what does that mean, to be a little lower than the angels? Because it also says in Scripture, we will someday judge the angels. So how are we lower than the angels? But then we get to judge them someday. Yeah, uh, I, I interpret that as meaning lower in terms of not as intelligent, okay. not as mobile. Okay. Or we're tied to gravity, mm-hmm. they aren't, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and uh, so there are many ways in which we are lower than the angels. But God is saying, all right, I will still reveal myself to this uh, person, this human being, and I think that they will respond to me and obey me and love me for giving them the gift of life. Okay. Rather than uh, follow you, uh, Satan. Got it. And then that uh, is one way of trying to explain the existence of mankind. Okay. Or what uh, we call the meta narrative of of our existence. Exactly. Um, wow. That, why we're here. That that's an excellent explanation. And so we, we got a question from a listener, and you touched on some of this okay. in your answer, but. Uh, from a listener, Stephanie, and she asked if we could talk about human souls, spirits, and what sets us apart from animals. And you you did touch on that in that question. And so it's a really interesting question, but it's a big question. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yep, yep, yep. We, we probably have to break it down a little bit. But first, let me ask you this. When we, when we have big questions like this, like Stephanie has posed, and we want to understand the biblical perspective, what would you say is the best way to start finding those answers? Well, my best friend outside the Bible is the concordance. (laughs) Uh, You know, dictionaries are made from using the concordance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You look up words in their context, see how they're used, and arrive at a meaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, if I say trunk, Mm -hmm. what comes to your mind? Trunk of a car. Okay. But it also Uh, could be an elephant's trunk. It could be an elephant trunk. Uh, It could be be a a storage trunk. Yeah. uh, a lot of different meanings. Mm-hmm. So to figure out that meaning, you'd have to study the context mm-hmm. of the word. Once you start studying the context, you may come up with several different uses for that word, as, as you just did mm-hmm. with trunk. Well, it's the same with uh, the word for soul, okay. uh, both in the Old Testament and the New. Um, in the Old Testament, it's nephish. Okay. In the New Testament, it's suke. And uh, I'll... Start with the New Testament and go backwards, because the question really is probably dealing with the creation story. But in the New Testament, there are 105 uses of suke. Okay. And uh, a handful of those uses deal with just it equals people. Mm-hmm. Like it says in Acts, 3,000 uh, suke were added to the church. All right. Well, what does that mean? Uh, they were counting souls uh, floating around in the air right. or something? No, it just means people. Mm -hmm. 3,000 people were added to the church. Right. Uh, So that's one use, uh, but uh, fairly uh, rare. 
Another use, uh, surprisingly rare, is that which goes to heaven when we when a believer dies. When we die, uh-huh. okay. That's only used five times that way in the New Testament. Uh, the other uses uh, are kind of split evenly uh, between uh, the inner part of man, mm-hmm. what I'm calling the mind, emotion, and will. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, soul. mind, and strength. And strength, exactly. And he's, that's sort of the inner part of man. That's not something that goes to heaven when you die. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just uh, different expressions of of man's mind, emotion, and will. And then uh, uh, the other use is just life. Okay. Um, for example, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, If anyone come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever would save his suke okay. uh, for himself will lose it. But whosoever shall, in the eyes of the world, throw his suke away, he'll find it. Okay. Uh, it uses the word suke twice in verse 25 and twice in verse 26. And all four times, it means the same thing, and it's talking about your life. The life, right. Uh, for example, it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, and loses his suke? suke? right. So uh, if uh, Bill Gates gave you a billion dollars, which you could probably use, but mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow you die... Uh, you probably wouldn't make that trade. Right. Right? Right. So what would you trade for your life? I mean, you, you, we can cook up situations where mm-hmm. it might do the world good if I inherited $10 trillion mm-hmm. and decided to give it to solve AIDS and all sorts of things. But in general, you'd say, well, nothing. Exactly. It's it's the most precious thing you have. In fact, on Psalm, in Psalm 22, when uh, a foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross... He's praying that he, his uh, nephish be delivered. Uh, only they use the word his precious one. Okay. Uh, it's like a valuable, your most valuable jewel mm-hmm. is your life. So uh, the New Testament uses it that way about half the time. Okay. So what is life? Mm-hmm. What is life? If I say to a 16-year-old, uh, uh, Susie, what would you like to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. She knows what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. She's thinking, all right, I'm 16, uh, I'll either be raptured if, if I'm a believer or die. And let's say that's going to happen, uh, let's say the rapture delays and mm-hmm. uh, 50 years from now. All right, I've got 50 years. That's time. That's time on earth. That's, that's my existence on earth for a period of time. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with it? What are we going to do with what that time? Yeah. Now, we'll come back to that, but I want to flip now into the Old Testament. It uses nephish exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. For example, the first use of nephish in the New Testament, excuse me, in the Old Testament, is Genesis 1.20. It says, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Uh, living creatures, that's nephish right there. Mm-hmm. So it isn't saying, Let the waters abound with abundance of souls. Right. Yeah, wouldn't make any sense. Right. So it's back to context. In this context, uh, Nephish is just talking about uh, he created things in the water that are alive. Got it. All right, living creatures, as it actually uses two words to translate. Uh, uh, well, no, uh, living and then Nephish. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's But come together as things that are alive Okay, is, is what it's saying. But... Uh, uh, and then he goes on in, in 21, he uses that again where he says... God created the great sea monsters and every living creature 
mm-hmm. that moves. And so he uses that again to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I brought my dictionary of Hebrew here with me just to give you an example of how they do it. And so the, uh, they list seven, let's see, ten different meanings for nephish, mm-hmm. all determined by context, as we've said. But they start right off just in, in general uh, saying it's that which breathes, the breathing substance or being. Okay. Uh, the anima, the soul, and they equate it with suke from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. The inner being of man, and they give you a bunch of uh, uses for that. The second use is uh, the nephish becomes a living being. And that's where later on God breathes into the nostrils of man in oh. 2.7. Mm-hmm. And by implication also the animals in Genesis 2.19. So uh, what you've got to be careful of and what, of course, piques the interest in this question is do animals have souls right. that uh, go to heaven? Are there animals in heaven? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, that's probably in your list of questions, but I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> that's okay. Well, now, uh, you get into another question here. <clears throat> that's how do you interpret apocalyptic literature? Okay. And, uh, there are different literary types you find in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's the Gospels. That's a literary type. Right. There are Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. That's an epistola, an epistle, epistolary genre. And that particular literary type has a hello, an mm-hmm. introduction, a body, mm-hmm. a conclusion, and a farewell. Mm-hmm. That's the type. When you get the book of Revelation, you're into another genre, another type of literature. It's apocalyptic literature. Right. And it uses a whole lot of symbols. Okay. Like they use a red dragon as a symbol of uh, the devil. Got it. Similar to, uh, to the prophets when we're talking about those books. Yeah, when you get mm-hmm. into uh, Zechariah and mm-hmm. other uh, books that use apocalyptic language. Um, so uh, we don't think uh, the devil's really a, a red dragon. Right. Okay. But uh, when you get into uh, that, that, there are four living creatures up there in heaven, right? Around the throne. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, those aren't angels. They're distinct from that. Okay. They aren't people. It's not part of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. So there's something different there. Uh, Jesus is said to come back on a white horse. Right. And uh, his volunteer army has the same opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so what I'm saying is uh, maybe there are horses in heaven, if you want to take this literally. On the other hand, maybe the horses symbolize something. Gotcha. I'm not going to try to make that call okay. myself. Uh, but what I'd like to say about the nephish going into animals, I don't look at that as a soul in the sense of this immaterial part of man that goes to heaven right. someday. Uh, I would say that's just the, the uh, essence of life. Okay. He, he makes it alive. Got it. Okay. If that makes any sense. It, it does. It does. <clears throat> and so what I hear you saying is so when we start with, you know, to, to Stephanie's question on how we start to, to break down these questions, I hear you saying we, we've got to start with being able to define whatever those words are, whatever that, that topic is, and do so in context, mm-hmm. which, is, which is hugely important. And then from there, break it down so that we understand what we're really reading, and then we're able to apply that to whatever the question is. Exactly. Okay. Uh, 
uh, typically in uh, the class you're taking, <laughs> I, with soteriology, I have people take the word suke and yes. I have them take the word sozo. Sozo is the word means uh, to save. To save. Mm-hmm. And I said, I looked that up in your concordance and then go and categorize all the uses of it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, for example, uh, Peter's out in the Sea of Galilee and he's sinking and he says, Lord, save, save me. me. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not asking the Lord to share with him a gospel tract on how to go to heaven when right. he drowns. <laughs> right. He's saying, keep me from drowning. Keep me from drowning. Yeah. Uh, the woman had an issue of blood for 12 years and she was sozoed, mm-hmm. but they translate that healed or made right. whole. Right. Because that's the context. It would sound silly to say she was saved there. Right. Right. So, uh, and with that assignment, you're making your own little dictionary. Mm-hmm. And once you've done that, you can begin to, you could write an article on the word sozo. Mm-hmm. And you could tell us how many times it's used for physical salvation, how many times it's used for spiritual salvation. Uh, and you can go through these categories. And that's extremely helpful uh, when you get into certain uh, passages where it's a little difficult mm-hmm. uh, to understand. And uh, it keeps you from taking one meaning that we probably picked up from the pulpits down through the years right. and applying it across the board whenever we see the word. That's one of the problems with the word saved. Right. Yeah. We, we hear it and we automatically exactly. go to, to salvation yeah. In, yeah, in yeah. terms yeah. of what, what yeah. Jesus has done for us. And that's it? probably not even the majority use of the word mm. in, in the New Testament. Right. But uh, you could argue it's, it's used that way about half the time. Okay. Okay, so we, as we unpack this, like you said, and we we create um, our own our own dictionaries, which I have to mm-hmm. say is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that, and so to again to Stephanie's point, and you touched on her question is when we talk about you know what it means to understand human life as it relates to to other life and creation, as we said, the animals and the angels uh-huh. and and that sort of thing, and how we're different in those two, and so. How would you say we, we're to understand these concepts of souls again or spirits mm-hmm. um, as it relates to, to this world, as it relates to the resurrection, and then the new world that Jesus says will be created one day? Well, okay, I'll answer that. But there's one more thing I want to say about <clears throat> the soul as the inner part okay. of man uh, and the image of God. Mm-hmm. And that is... The capacity to choose. Yes. The capacity to choose. There is a whole branch of theology uh, that is what we call deterministic. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that we're saying they teach that everything was predetermined in eternity past. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would be created, what decisions they would make, because it's really not their decision. Right. Someone's making it for them. And they teach that the human beings and even the fallen angels and Lucifer are merely instruments in the hands of God. Ah. Now, if that's true, <laughs> you've got a lot of problems in my view. And that is you have no uh, accountability mm-hmm. and no responsibility. Mm-hmm. If, if you're just an instrument, you're not, you can't be held accountable. Right. Uh, we don't put guns on trial for murder. Exactly. We put people, people. on trial who pulled the trigger. Exactly. Right? So if I'm just an instrument, you can't hold me responsible. So that's a convenient way of getting out of mm. uh, human responsibility. I, I think it also destroys the capacity to love. Mm. Uh, uh, I assume your husband asked you, before he was your husband, mm-hmm. 
to marry him, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So why didn't he just hit you on the head with a club and drag you off <laughs> and to, drag me. to his yeah. man cave? Uh, I well, had a choice. Yeah, and, and, and why did he wa He wanted to give you a choice. Mm -hmm. Why? He loved me. And he wanted to know... If I loved him. Exactly. Yeah. Take the choice away. Mm -hmm. There's no way to know if and you're loved. Exactly. Right? So I want to preserve choice. Gotcha. Uh, that's very, very important for me because I think the Bible is a love story. Yes. And if you take love out of the Bible, I mean, God is love. Mm -hmm. I, I think you destroy much, again, of the meta-narrative of why we exist. Got it. Okay. So having said that, uh, going on to uh, spirit and soul and all these uh, in this life and then in the next life, uh, let's just talk about death for a moment. Okay. In Ecclesiastes 12, 7, it says, when a believer, an Old Testament believer dies, okay. his body uh, goes back to the elements from which it came, mm -hmm. but his spirit goes to God who gave it. Okay. All right. So God gave the spirit. Mm -hmm. And this is another huge discussion among theologians, and it's called traducianism versus creationism. Okay. And this deals with where did man's soul, or some would interchange that with spirit, and now we're talking about that uh, part that goes to heaven when he dies. Right. Where did that come from? Now, uh, Augustine and those of his following uh, think it came through the man and woman, and they uh, actually created that, uh, soul, that soul of the new of the new being. Okay. And so, almost like um, that person has the DNA mm -hmm. of those parents. Physically, mm -hmm. uh, they're saying that uh, they have the DNA spiritually of the parents as well. But uh, he had such a dim view of uh, sexual activity that uh, he viewed this is how we uh, become sinners. It's, it's uh, through the activity of, of reproduction, which he thought was sinful. Okay. So he has this real dim view of all that. Um, I... I I'm not going to dogmatize about it, but I lean toward the creation view. And one reason I do is uh, Zechariah 12, verse 1, says God uh, forms the spirit within right. man. Right. And the way that's put, I would say that applies to every single person. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying God is the one, you know, man and woman uh, may reproduce a human being, but to, for that to be a human being... It has to have the spiritual God has element. to do it, right. And God does that, I would right. think. I think God creates. Uh, otherwise, you have humans creating right. uh, souls. And uh, anyway, I have a little, little problem with that. I would agree. All right. Now, uh, what about this spirit that God puts in man? Uh, there, another, there, the, the same branch of theology that says you have no real choices of your own. It's mm -hmm. all predetermined. Also says that... You are spiritually uh, incapacitated when you're born, meaning your spirit is dead. Okay. And by dead, they mean uh, it can't do anything. It can't breathe, it can't think, and it can't believe. So with this approach, they're saying you have to be regenerated before you can believe. Got right? it. That fits right into the determinism that Augustine brought into Christianity. Mm -hmm. His background in Greek philosophy was Neoplatonism, uh, Stoicism, mm -hmm. and uh, 
Mon- Manichaeism, okay. which are all deterministic systems. He was the first of the church fathers to bring that into Christianity. Got it. And his stamp has followed us uh, ever since. So uh, they especially like to use Ephesians 2.1, which says we're dead in trespasses and sins. And sins, right. Uh, to say that, okay, you're dead in trespasses and sins. So you're spiritually, you're corpses. They love to use the corpse mm-hmm. illustration. Uh, and because you're a corpse, you can't think, you can't believe, spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. So you have to be regenerated by God before you can believe. Right? Got it. Well, uh, all five points of Calvinism are built on that concept, uh, according to R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. It's just not a valid concept. Uh, the word dead there is used the way, uh, uh, as it often is in Scripture, of separation. Mm-hmm. For example, when you die physically... Your material part, your body, is separated from your spiritual part. Your spiritual part, part right? right. That is physical death. Spiritual death is like that as well, uh, in the sense that you're already separated. Right. You come into the world with your uh, spirit separated from God's from God. spirit. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Mm-hmm. You are regenerated, right. I would say, at that point. Right. And so the Spirit of God unites with your mm-hmm. human spirit. But... That human spirit wasn't dead in the sense of inactive mm-hmm. beforehand. Uh, Zechariah 12, 1, what did God put a, a spiritual corpse in you when he created you? Right. And it says in uh, uh, Genesis 41, verse 8, I believe it is, that Pharaoh's spirit was troubled within him. Mm. Is Pharaoh a believer? No, no. he's a non-Christian. No. right. Was his spirit inactive? Was his spirit a corpse? No, it tro- was troubling him. Right. And uh, Daniel 2 uh, says Nebuchadnezzar's spirit was, was troubled, troubled within him mm-hmm. from his from dreams. From the dream. It's mm-hmm. another non-Christian uh, in which his spirit was quite active. I would say, uh, though I couldn't prove this, but mm-hmm. it makes sense to me, that it's through the human spirit that our conscience uh, is activated. And we're told in John 16 that it's the... Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin, mm-hmm. righteousness, and judgment. Mm-hmm. Well, that conviction ministry of the Spirit is part of uh, the gracious work of God to woo us mm-hmm. and persuade us to trust His to Son trust him. as so, our Savior. So as when we're talking about that and we talk about that that word, the use of the word dead, mm-hmm. so then... Can we then extrapolate that to when Scripture talks about when we are made alive then with Christ? Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, very interesting in that passage in mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, mm-hmm. in, in the Greek language, they stick a little word S-Y-N when it says made alive with, mm-hmm. and we sit together with. Okay. And we use that in English, synthetic. Okay. You know, synthesis. Got it. So it's making it very clear that we're now united with we're God. We're coming together. We're, yeah, exactly. Got it. Where we were separated mm-hmm. when we're dead in trespasses and sins. And notice it doesn't say born in Ephesians 2 1. Mm-hmm. We're separated uh, from God, but when we're made alive, we, we come together. And that's what they call regeneration. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Wow. A lot, right. You've got a lot of deep questions here. Well, it's because I've been Catherine. hanging out with you, <laughs> Well, I mean. You're rubbing off on me. <laughs> you know, it's interesting in, in, in this world. It's so exciting. But when you turn over one stone, uh, you're probably five more under it. Absolutely. You can keep going on and on and on and on. And yeah, on. we could talk about this. We can keep going on. <laughs> okay, I don't know if we have time. I quickly want to answer more of the question you just asked about mm-hmm. resurrection. I didn't okay. mention it. 
Okay. Uh, if, if a believer dies today, uh, he, his spirit goes to be with Christ and his soul, if you will, that part. All right. So it's separated from his body. Mm-hmm. At resurrection, they're reunited. But now you have a glorified body. Right. And your spirit and soul come together with your body so that uh, this is what was puzzling to the Greeks. Uh-huh. Uh, because their view of the soul was that it's imprisoned in the body, and the body's evil. Okay. So the thought of resurrecting the body, you know, was that not a was, good thing. It was foolishness, right? To them, okay. Uh, but the redemptive program of God is to reverse, you might say, everything uh, affected by the fall, mm-hmm. and our mortality, our mortal bodies, is one of the things affected by the fall. Got it. Uh, wouldn't we love to reverse that? Jumping over, what does this mean today? Well. It's one of the great teachings of the New Testament mm-hmm. is you can save your suke for eternity. Yeah. And what's, what is suke in that sense? It's your time on earth. The time here on earth. So you can live that selfishly for your own kingdom, uh, your own glory, your own indulgence, mm-hmm. your own pleasure, your own desires. If, if you do that, he says, you lose the very significance, purpose, and reason for which he created you. Right. Right. Uh, but the awesome thing is he gives you the opportunity to save that time as well. It's, it, and it's uh, the easiest way to say it, seek ye first the kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if you live with a kingdom purpose, you have a transcendent cause to mm-hmm. live for. By transcendent, we're saying it rises above much of the suffering of this world, mm-hmm. much of the injustice of this world. Yeah. That's why in First Peter 2, when he says, if you suffer unjustly... Uh, Follow Jesus' example. It's yeah. left for you to follow in his footsteps, who when reviled did not revile did not back. Revile in return. What did he yeah. do? He committed himself to the one who would judge justly. Absolutely. And so it's transferring into that next world, believing very strongly that there's something better to come. Yeah. And in that world, uh, you'll see how much of your suke was saved forever. Wow. Very exciting. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Wow. Dr. Anderson, this has been such a good conversation. Thank you so much for helping us understand what um, what it means to be human and helping us kind of unpack some of the scriptures that, that hold the answers to those questions. I, I appreciate you being here and, and talking with me. To our listeners, we hope you've been encouraged by today's program. To find out more about what God is doing at Grace School of Theology, we invite you to visit us online at partnerwithgrace.org. From there, you can find out more about our global initiatives, how to become a student, or register for our free course entitled The Grace of God. This course features powerful teaching from three of Grace's theological scholars and will help you truly understand the depths of God's grace. In addition, we welcome your questions and comments. You can email us at savinggrace at gsot.edu or follow us on Twitter at SavingGraceCast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 